Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 338, featuring Chris Harvey, the VFX supervisor. Not There's actually another Chris Harvey in the visual effects industry, and it's not the same one. It is the really awesome Chris Harvey, who actually had worked at Oats for a long time and had done some amazing work. And I've been wanting to chat with him at, you know, at length. We've only met passingly, uh, and this was a great opportunity to do that. He is such a cool dude, isn't he, Kristen? Uh, yeah, I, I said he's a hot commodity because I felt like he's been everywhere and he's done so much. And because it wasn't really uh, working with his lifestyle at one point, he left and went to the paddleboard thing. And when they when the visual effects industry wanted him back, he's like, OK, three to four days a week thinking they'd say no. They say he did. Yes. So like I was like, that's awesome. Um, so he mm-hmm. just worked on so many things. And then also when he was at Oat Studios, they technically did the original Love, Death and Robots type shorts, but it didn't kick on yet. So they were the original like kind of cool people. Um, yeah. And then uh, the latest thing he's done, it's Demonic, which will actually come out at the end of August. So we'll try to get a link for that um on the podcast page but uh we just he talked about that and kind of shooting during lockdown and just the grueling stuff they had to go through and it sounded intense so it was just all around amazing podcast (laughs) yeah definitely really cool i mean uh, chris is chris is really great and we talked at length about you know all the the trends in the visual effects industry and uh, jobs and how and how you know what it does to your livelihood in a lot of ways. Uh, and Oat Studio was a fascinating journey that he he you know he's still he's still involved uh, with 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 Oats or with Neil Blankett more specifically. Uh, Demonic is one of his projects, but uh, it's really cool to, to to talk to him about it. I've I look forward to many conversations with Chris, uh, and this one is a really good one to kick it off. So thank you so much for being on. Uh, okay chaos.com slash events what's going on all right we are hosting 24 hours of chaos again this year and it's going to be september 9th and 10th and it's going to be 12 back-to-back shows with more than 60 hosts speakers and guests all in a 24-hour live stream and you can find out about this at chaos.com slash 24 hours Perfect. Again, that's chaos.com slash 24 to number 24 and then hours. And we look forward to doing that again, as we did last year. It was a great success. And we will be hosting the West Coast show on our side. Kristen and I and Lon and Melissa will all be hanging out again. So very excited about that. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. In fact, last year, I think I stayed up most of 24 hours, which was kind of a mistake. But it was a lot of fun to do it anyway. Uh, okay. In terms of uh, products, what do we have going on? All right, you can find these out at chaos.com. Right now, the latest one is V-Ray 5 for Revit, Update 1, and also V-Ray 5 for Cinema 4D, Maya, and Houdini, all Update 1s um, are now available, and Vantage Update 1.3 is available as well. Perfect. So lots of new features are available on those products. I encourage you guys to go to chaos.com and checking out all the new uh, updates that have all the new features that have been added to those updates. Uh, And I'm sure there'll be more at some point. There'll probably be an update too pretty soon. Anyway, uh, if you want to know more about the podcast, where can you go? You can go to facebook.com slash CG garage podcast or chaos.com slash CG garage. And if you'd like to watch us on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Perfect. And if you have any ideas of podcasts or you like this one and you want to have some comments on it or you want to have any, uh, you know, other suggestions of other things, uh, please let us know. Labs at chaosgroup.com is the best place to reach us. We've been getting some great suggestions from you guys, so please keep them coming. We always like that. And if you guys have uh, would like to leave us a review, remember you can do that on Apple Podcasts and we appreciate those as well. But that being said, please enjoy episode number 338 with Chris Harvey. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. We've uh, we've uh, 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 
we've obviously known each other peripherally for for many many years uh, doing yeah. different things uh but i would love to to know your origin story because i actually do i used to sit next to another chris harvey who actually works at pixar so i don't know oh yeah know. The, the one other chris harvey that's in the industry i think yeah yes yeah. exactly so i used to sit next to him i was like wait a minute so, uh, but l- let's hear let's hear a little bit about where where you started. Where, where, what are some of the things that got you into to doing the, the computer graphics and visual effects? Uh, well, I mean, in some ways, it was a bit of an accident, to be honest. Like I was <clears throat> before I, I mean, when I was a little kid, I wanted to like. There was an old, old, old movie called Effects, which was all about special effects, and it was. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's probably the earliest inkling of wanting <laughs> to get into it. Uh, was was way back then. Um, and then I forgot about it as I started to grow up and, and whatever and ended up going to university. And when I went to university, I double majored in uh, theater and biology because I liked acting and I did a lot of that. And then uh, I also liked animals and, and biology. And when I say I went to university, I went there for a year. Um, and the university kind of screwed up my, my course calendars for year two. Um, and effectively, I was going to have to retake. I was going to take an extra year because they messed a bunch of stuff up. And I was like, well, this is a joke. I'm not, I'm not spending like an extra year in university to, to do this. So as I was flipping through their, their course catalog, there was an ad for a school called DigiPen. And that school taught game programming. So I was like, well, maybe I'll get into game programming. Making games is probably pretty fun. And right. I called them. And they asked if I was calling about the game, the game program or the animation program. And I was like, oh, shoot, animation is way funner sounding than games. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm calling about. Right. So I wrote their entrance exam, got into got into animation, um, and what I discovered very very quickly was that my theater background and my biology background um, just worked really really well for for animation for for character animation and, and whatnot because you got your specifically because your of the, the, the yeah and you knew biology you knew how anatomy worked right exactly right so it was it was a weird combination that worked really well and it just everything just sort of clicked worked great. It was a two-year program. I think after the first year, um, I arrogantly, you know, sent. I think I sent demo reels out in three months of starting the program, and, and got a bunch of bunch of offers. And and like, it's like, whoa, well, heck, I'm gonna, you know, if I if I finish the program, I'll get better offers. Um, and I ended up not taking any offers. I ended up going freelance with a friend of mine, um, and kind of became a jack of all trades, doing everything because it was freelance, you know, over 20 years ago. And at that point, it was like, you know, you just kind of did everything. It wasn't wasn't so specialized, um, right. and then from there, um, you know, eventually found myself, you know, working for a lot of different companies, and and then finally settling at one for you know I did a few freelance gigs, and then ended up you know there more permanently, and sort of climbed the ladder fairly quickly into supervision, and then I guess the rest they say is history. So <laughs> okay, so this was uh, you said over twenty years ago, so this is not this is before two thousand, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, it would have been um, 98, maybe, 97, 98, yeah, quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so, so, quite a while. So, so, around it is, longer. it is. Well, come on, it's still a while ago. Uh, so, 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 all right, so, so you were freelancing and then you settled down. So where did you settle down? <laughs> so the first, well, actually, man, I guess I did a game... I took an official job at a company. The first, like, real job job probably was a game company. I was at Relic for a little bit. Um, but film-wise, when I took, like, an official, like, non-just contract freelance job where it was full-time, and, I mean, I'd freelanced at a bunch of different places before that, but um, it would have been Frantic Film, who was based in Winnipeg, right. but they had a satellite office. Well, I was the third employee, like, quote-unquote, satellite office in Vancouver. Um and, and that's, you know, I kind of settled there and it, it, it's interesting. Like I'd passed up jobs that it's funny. Like I, like I had an offer at Weta to work on the original Lord of the Rings and, and, and be an animator. Um, but we couldn't go because my wife, we discovered we were pregnant with our first kid and it was like, well, we don't want to be halfway around the world, baby number one. Um, and I ended up going to Frantic and, and that decision probably was a major unbeknownst to me at the time, was a major career shift. Because I, if I had gone to Weta, I probably would have just stayed in animation. I would have been a character animator, and that would have been it. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't do that, and I ended up going with like a local company, Frantic, and then because it was so small and it was growing, 
Um, you know, that was a couple years later. We'd had the kids, things like that. But I ended up doing a lot of extra stuff. It wasn't just just um, animation. I had to do, like, again, the jack-of-all-trades thing, like mm-hmm. a ton of stuff because we were such a small company at the time. And I basically said, you know, I'll be the guy that travels. I'm like, if you, like, I, I'm happy because we were satellite office. We'd have to move around a lot. And I'm like, I'll be the guy that, like, if you have to send a set, you have to send, like, you know, halfway around the whatever. Like, instead of me, because you'd always have to get, like, if you were going to set or going somewhere, you'd get, like, a ticket back. you get, I don't know, two or three trips back to see the family. And I said, you know what? Don't send me back to see the family. Instead of buying all those tickets for me, just buy me one extra ticket. And my wife will just come with me because, you know, okay. like kids sat in her lap and didn't cost anything back then. And everyone was like, well, that's a great deal. That saves us money. And I was like, cool. So at Franek for the first six years or so, like I was maybe at home, maybe half of the time. The rest hmm. of the time I was just traveling around different offices, shoots, different things like that. And because of that, I think that sort of accelerated certain career opportunities in terms of supervision because I was just the guy that was willing to travel. So I was the one that did it. Right. Right. Uh, now, were, are you, were you from Winnipeg? No, no, I was from Vancouver. Well, I'm not from Vancouver, but I was from BC. Right. So okay. I was always based in the, in the Vancouver office. Right. Um, and sort of grew that, like I was employee number three in Vancouver and uh, Shane Davidson and, and Chad, we, the three of us sort of built that office up to what it eventually became. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it became probably the, the biggest office at one point. Um, and then I also, during Superman Returns, like way back when, I went to Australia and I started the Australian Frantic office as well. So I was out there for over six months. Um, that was baby number two that we were, had like almost had the baby there. And I had to get back home to, to actually have the baby, but started the office out in Australia. So like like I said, I was just all over the place. Interesting. Like, which is great. Um, it's funny, like still to this day, like, you know, everyone considers Vancouver this hot spot of filmmaking. I don't know that I've, I've maybe been on set once in Vancouver, even hmm. though I'm based here. I'm like, I'm just always somewhere else. Right. Even though everyone always talks about having to move to Vancouver because of the tax credits and that's where they go to shoot movies. I'm, I live here and I'm always going somewhere else. Right. So. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. There is, there's definitely a lot of talent in Vancouver and it's been there for a long time. And I mean, you were there before the big tax credits. So you, totally. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you didn't move there because of the tax credits. So that's another thing that's very important to, to, to note yep. about that. Uh, you know, and it's interesting. I, I was like frantic. Frantic always had some interesting vibe to him. I mean, I remember Bobo. Bobo yeah. was a pretty cool guy. And, Bobo was uh, awesome. And uh, what was the uh, Krakatoa was one of the programs that yep. you guys are working on. Uh, so you guys always did some really interesting, uh, interesting things over there. Yeah, they were, they were definitely, definitely ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. I mean, never that big company, but like, like even the concept, like now it's so common, you know, companies have satellite offices and work remotely. Like we were doing that a decade before anyone even thought, like we were just we're doing that forever. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the company was built that way. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, you guys even had an office here in, in L.A., sort of right at the Hollywood we did. Pass. Yeah. I think yeah. John Coulter was there and a bunch of yeah. other people. Would, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, I I know all those guys. They're great. Uh, and uh, and I think also the other thing is, you know, you were, you know, at that time, was the slightly rebellious uh, uh, Max group, right? You guys were doing a lot of we stuff. We definitely Max. were. <laughs> it was you yeah. and Blur and a couple other studios like that, but you know, in yep. order to do that kind of stuff, uh, was it was it you guys who did? Okay, now like, I'm trying to think about it real quick. Frantic film. Did you guys work on um, uh, Rain of Fire? To do a couple things on Rain of Fire. I don't. Uh, actually, maybe they did. I don't. I wasn't part of it. Oh no. That was, I think that might have been Digital Dimension that did Rain of Fire. Digital Dimension, that's right. Yes. I was there too for a little while. I contracted there for a little while. I did Freddy versus Jason when I was there. And okay. So, yeah. That's what it was. And it's, sorry, I, I confused. The reason I brought it up is like the very first shot ever done in V Ray for a movie was actually in oh. Rain of Fire. Really? And it was, it was one small shot. It was a, it was a, a digi double replacement of, uh, yep. uh, what's his name? Matthew McConaughey, I think, right? Just climbing a tower just for like. Oh, the I tower. Think, I, yeah. I remember that shot. Yeah. 
Yeah, he just and that was just that one digi double was done in in in, in V-Ray. It was like the very first thing ever done in a film for for in V-Ray. <laughs> I oh, think I remember awesome. that. So I was like, I remember that. That was pretty funny. Okay, so frantic, frantic was a was a great uh, was a great place for you. And obviously, you know, you 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 cut your chops there, right? You you're able to figure things out. You're able to be on set quite a bit. Sounds like being on set is also a big yep. part of it. Uh, and you, ooh, that's a big learning curve. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. If you'd gone to Weta, you probably would have been a a good animator still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I would have done that. But yeah, with and frantic, you know, I had to, I sort of became the de facto sort of head of studio here and, and ran everything just sort of mm-hmm. the, the studio supervisor um you know there were other supervisors but I, yeah i had to kind of run it and we grew it and it got pretty big and it's funny like then we got bought by prime focus right um and and it's like it ultimately almost ended my career as well like i, I we you know i've been there for years and during tron i kind of made a decision i'm like i'm done i'm leaving this company and not even just leaving the company i'm like i'm quitting the business like i'm, I'm out because that was that was baby number three, um, and like I, I could not, I probably couldn't count the number of seventy literal seventy two hour shifts, like not sleeping. I couldn't count them on two hands that I did on that movie. It was terrible. Like it was, it was terrible and it was great. Like amazing friendships grew out of that film. Really good experiences. Very proud of the work we did. It was yep. a very difficult show um, for a lot of internal reasons. Um, you know the the prime focus taking us over and the all of those growing pains and things like that between like how are we moving work around and, and everything else and and I just hardly saw my family and I think that my wife when she gave birth to our daughter you know I, I left to just go to the hospital and see the baby born and then like the next day you know when she gets out of the hospital so like I guess the day the baby's a day and a half old like she dropped me off the ho- at the at work and she continued home and like the, the whole crew came out and met my like day and a half year old baby like that that's how little wow. I saw them and to, to be able to eat dinner with the family I convinced the company to let my wife um, cater food twice a week so she oh cooked God. the whole crew like home cooking she'd bring them like home cooked lasagna and home cooked like fajitas and all and like the crew loved it like it was great because they got a home cooked meal twice a week but it meant my family would come to the office and we get to eat together. And that, that was it. Those were my two days I got to eat with the family. And I was just like, I'm done. This industry is not for me. And I quit after Tron. So, like, I gave my notice, finished the show, and then and then quit. And we actually, like, moved. or well, didn't move. We, we went to, we went and camped and lived in a tent for five weeks in Hawaii after the show and just, like, decompressed. Met a guy. Decided I was going to get into stand-up paddle boards. Like, started like importing stand-up paddle boards to Vancouver and I was like selling them and demoing them. And that was probably five months. I was just like out of the industry. And then, and then I got the itch to get back into it, obviously. And, and then that, you know, that really, when I got back back in, it was a very different, like my role was different. Like I was being hired specifically as being like, like a top supervisor and like it quickly accelerated into, um, like that was, I did Zero Dark 30 and Chappie and I was, both production side and studio or and like facility side supervising. So that, that really started to shift everything mm-hmm. um, and set and, and having boundaries where I'm just like, like I went to image engine when I came back, that's, that's what I ended up coming back to. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they were asking if I wanted to, to join, I kept saying, no, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to get back into this. No, no, no. And my wife was like, just ask them for something impossible so that they stop bugging you. And I said, sure. Why not? And I, I asked don't you hate for, it when they say yes? <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what happened. But, but the crazy thing is what I asked for. I said I want a three day work week. I'll come back and work for you if I only have to work back work three days a week as the supervisor. And they said, sure, not a problem. We can figure that out. And I was like, really? And they're like, well, would you be open to like three days worth of hours? So maybe it's four days, but some of the days aren't like full eight hours. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good, actually. Cool. <laughs> And I supervised a number of shows there on like a basically a four day week. Wow. What it ended up being. And it and it worked actually phenomenally well. Like it was it was very successful because I don't know, it just it just worked. Like where you realize you don't have to have sometimes the crazy hours as long as you plan for it up front. Yes. Um and, and, and create, you know, the and, and the clients probably never knew that like like I remember doing calls, literally standing on a paddleboard in the middle of the ocean, and doing a phone call, like to discuss shots, because that's just it was my day off, and but you know the client needed to talk, and I was like, I'll talk to you, I don't care. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't know where I was. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, and, and that's what it was. And it, it, it just, it, what happened on Tron and, and quitting and taking that break and then coming back, like it just, it allowed me to realize that like, it's okay to say no, even our, in our, you, like people say, you can never say no. And it's like, yeah, you can. You just have to have a, a reliable alternate option. So right. It, it definitely yeah. changed perspective on things. Yeah, I, 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 I can, I can see that. I mean, I, I worked on Tron. <laughs> I was on Tron for quite a while. Uh, that was honestly, you know, that one was very a lot of fun. I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't have to do. I know a lot of the outsourced companies, you know, were, were struggling in certain ways, um, and it was tough. Which which sequence were you working on, by the way? We did. Um, I mean, our main sequence was the Solar Sailor sequence. So it's like oh right, long stretch on them, and then there was stuff on either end of that. Like we did some stuff with the tower. Um, and then the stuff underneath the tower when they get on the, the solar sailor and then obviously the long journey. But ours, yeah. it was funny. We didn't have, like some of the other vendors had, I know had some pretty rocky stuff going on. Um, like it just in terms of, it was just a challenging show. Ours ours were really more internal issues than they were. Like yeah. like Eric and I got on really good. Um, Mark Rianza, who was sort of, overseeing a lot of the external vendors we got yep. on we got on it's like he would eat my wife's cooking too like mm-hmm. we all got on really good so we never had the problem on that side of it we had a lot it was more the internal growing pains of, of a you know a foreign company buying us and then how does that all fit together right yeah yeah i know i i i've struggled with some of those things i know that you know when uh, there was time during the times at digital domain when not you know they had to go through bankruptcy and change ownership and those yeah. are rocky you know uh so so very uh, definitely a rocky time so i i absolutely know what you mean because sometimes people have a different idea of what the company is when they get into it so yeah uh, definitely a struggle so that's great i mean i think that's a really cool thing if you make yourself into the position that you are and then you basically say no i don't want to do this and then you ask for something ridiculous and they say yes sometimes that happens sometimes so yeah it sounds like you got a good a good gig. <laughs> when you, when it worked out well. Yeah, like and it's funny, you know, like it, it opened up a new perspective. Like when when you know, after that then I went to ILM for a short stint as sort of the creative director here in Vancouver mm-hmm. and then left with Neil to start Oats. Um, and we did like we we ran that same experiment at Oats, except we, we ran it for the whole crew. So about about a year into Oats we said, Look, let's try something and see if it works and and it worked and this isn't you, you can't do this everywhere like it's not going to work at every facility but it worked for us and the the culture and the the way we structured things and i think a lot of it has to do with that oats was completely self-controlled like there was no client that we had to work for it's like we set all of our own parameters but we yeah. decided yeah. to do a four-day work week for the crew. well can you explain oats a little bit because i know i mean i know about oats but i don't know if anyone mm-hmm. in the audience might know about it so t- tell us a little for bit sure. about oats and wh- wh- what the origin was and how that's kind of got started so so i met i mean the neil it goes all the way back to like even before chappie but i met neil on chappie um and ended up supervising that project and we became pretty good friends on the on the shoot and then in, in post and whatnot and um, like our families are friends, like we just, we got on really well. And he started talking to me about this idea that he'd have about working outside the studio system so that he had a hundred percent creative control. But, but beyond that, it was just, I mean, I guess ultimately it was the creative control, but that, you know, if you're inside the studio system, obviously they have a financial responsibility to like recoup their money. Like it's a business, they're in it to make money. And you can't fault them for that. That's the point, right? They're 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 making movies and telling stories, but they're also they have to be profitable and stay in business. The idea behind Oats was, what if we don't worry about that and it's just creative to be creative? And all of a sudden, there's a lot less strings attached and things. And, and ultimately, it wasn't 100% sustainable because of that. But but the <laughs> point was, let's try this thing. That's like, let's just be creative. And it's like as many of the dollars as possible are just going on screen. So like we're cutting as much overhead and just like it would keep everything under one roof, keep the, like the, the chain of like string of commands, like as short as possible. So everything is as efficient as possible. And like, what could we do if we, if we did this, what, what could this experiment look like? And Neil, you know, he asked, would you be interested in doing this and like doing 
zany things that you know financially a studio would never be sign up for because it's like the the chance of recouping your money is the, the, the some of the ideas are so out there we'll never recoup our money so they would never let you do it in the first place it's like but what if we want to explore these ideas maybe there's people out there that want to explore these ideas with us and, and want to hear these stories so that was the, the concept behind it really and i was like yeah that sounds pretty cool and so so neil myself and actually neil's brother who was in real estate all kind of like i left ilm to to go and do this um as as well as we were also developing the aliens that alien movie that neil was going to do at the same time so Ilum was, you know, they were really cool and very supportive of the idea. And they said, yeah, you should go do this. It's great. Um, and, and Neil's brother, Mike, left. And, and so we started this thing called Oats. And, you know, the concept was everything under one roof. Editorial, like, we, we built our own mocap stage. We had, like, we had a, quote, unquote, workshop in the back where, like, props were fabricated. Um, we built little sound stages in the warehouse. So some of this stuff was shot, like, the, the artist pit was sitting here and like literally on either side of them and in front of them were like little sets and stages that we would shoot stuff in. Um, and, and it was like hire a ninja team of guys. So I just called up like some of the best people I'd ever worked with and, and would pitch them on this idea that was Oats. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bring him into the office, tour him around, try to like sell them, introduce them to Neil to make sure that relational, like everyone, like it was really important that everyone got along and we had the right fit as opposed to just talent as well. Um, no restrictions on what software. It was just like, I just wanted the best talent we could find. And that's what Neil and I were looking for. And so we hired this like 10 guys, this ninja team of 10 people. And ultimately by the end of the end of our sort of two and a half year, three year run at Oats, it was, you know, we probably got up to about 22, 23 people just because the, the scope of the shows got bigger, but like really a very tiny team. And the first year um, and some of the biggest shorts we did, you know, we, there was 10 of us. Like, it was tiny in terms of the digital team. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, that's what we did. We, we, we'd shoot 20-minute short films or 5-minute short films or 10-minute yeah. short, whatever they were. So That's really awesome. And I think what's really great is that, the, you know, those 10 people, I know they're all very talented, but they got to see a, a bigger part of the process, right? They got to be part of the Way whole. Way bigger. Like, and yeah. that's one of the things that was most interesting is everyone, and that kind of leads into this experiment we did with this four day work week is that everyone got to do they got to be involved as they wanted to be in any aspect of it so i mean like in the the cg side of it you know our jobs were you had to be a lot more stand on your own because obviously it was a tiny team and even we did have some like ridiculously talented people so like they could fill a lot of roles but at the same time like if they wanted to get involved you know hey we're going to shoot this thing on saturday or whatever it's like let's come in and we'll we'll help shoot it and they'd they'd be involved in on set where they normally couldn't or they'd help organize a mocap shoot or like whatever we were doing they'd like help with building props or or that communication between the two like they built something in 3d that we can print and like they just got way more exposure to everything which is really exciting right. um like neil would run script ideas past them and like how often do people like that are sitting behind the computer lighting shots get to have input in the script writing phase on a movie yep like zero it just doesn't happen unless it's your movie, pretty much. You know, I mean, not zero, but like it's rare. It's very rare. It's very rare. And I think that's actually really brilliant because I think people understand a little bit more about the filmmaking process. And the other thing that I think is interesting, and I've always talked about this, about Neil. I think he's one of the most efficient filmmakers out there because he knows how everything is done all the way to the end, right? Uh, well, and that's what was interesting because it would go both ways. He'd, he'd ask because they're getting input on, on his creative process, but likewise, you know, we could come back, any artist come back and say, well, like you're suggesting such and such, but like that'll be, that's going to be really hard or it's going to cost a lot of money or take a long time. What if we did this, which serves the same story thing, but it's just more efficient. He'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I just wrote this because I wrote it. It's like, it doesn't have to be that. Yep. And so you'd get, it, it'd be bi-directional, which was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always I use I always use District Nine as the the cleanest example of efficient filmmaking, right? Because there's it's such an incredibly powerful story, and and you know what he did with those creatures is like you know listen he put he took tentacles in front of their mouths and made them talk in clicks where he didn't have to do lip syncing because that's expensive, yep. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And and yeah. and there's like the clothes were clinging and they didn't have you know they had exoskeletons so they didn't have to do bit skin deformations like all yep. these things were choices that were made that were very 
very, very smart choices. Um, and I think that that's something that people don't realize. Like, oh, that's really smart. And it, and it, it doesn't see it doesn't distract from the story. The story is prime, mm-hmm. but it's served under you know this this other thing. So you don't get distracted by the CG. It's actually brilliant. And you could see that also in 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 the shorts. Although I gotta say, the creature that you guys did with all the human rigging craziness. Oh yeah, all the body parts. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that's not that's that's crazy town, crazy town. It was it was insane. It was too heavy to animate or control in as a whole. So, um, like Eric Laguerre, our, our rigging sort of technical genius, um, broke it up so that like the animators could load like individual components of an animated and, and then bring in the other rig because you just couldn't have the whole thing in your. It was too heavy. It was it was insane. Right. Um, and like Ian made like, you know, the model was ridiculously heavy, but like also like amazingly detailed. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked yeah, to, I talked to Ian stuff. about it as well. It's like, he's like, yeah. this is, yeah. Yep. And it's got like it's, 17 heads, four penises. Like it, <laughs> so yeah. it's great. Oh, there's, there's, yeah, there were so many penises. We we're like, dude, you got to chill out on the penises. Take <laughs> some of them out. <laughs> it was but really no, it was, it, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I mean, but it's that's the cool thing, right? So he puts his like you just said earlier. It's like put the dollars on the screen. That you can see, like that is insane, yeah. right? Because sometimes people no. will make something that crazy and it's on screen for a little bit and you barely notice it, and it's like, well, all that work for that, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. No, it was great, and to be able to like everyone to have that sort of level of sort of creative ownership, you know, because a lot of stuff like there's like. One story of one of the guys was like, "Oh, wouldn't it be really?" He made the, we watched like an initial cut of the the short, and he, you know, everyone sends their notes back because it's like that's the whole point. We all watch it, and then everyone writes up their notes and send them back to Neil, and he can review them all. And and you know, one of them was like, "Oh, it'd be really cool if we did all this stuff." And I was like, "And Neil really liked the idea." And I'm like, "It's a great idea, Neil." Um, he's like, "Yeah, we we should do that." And I'm like, "That's cool. It's it's a lot of work, but all right, we'll do it." And so I just went back to the guy that made the suggestion, and I'm like. Neil loves your idea. Good luck figuring it out. Go for it. And he's You're like, "What?" Responsible I'm like, for it. I'm like, "I'm like, it's a good creative idea." I'm like, "Figure out how we're going to do it." And he did, and it was it was cool, you know. And just, but it was that was the kind of stuff like people got to be vested personally in the creativity, and they got to not just give creative ideas, but also creatively solve the problem of the idea. And it was and so it was that much more rewarding for them because yeah. they can look at that and they're like, "That was my idea." And I had to figure out how to do it, and there it is on the screen, and it was cool. Yep. That that's that's awesome. So it's almost as if everyone took ownership of this in a lot of ways. Absolutely, and that was the goal. Was like we really wanted everyone to have a personal vested interest in everything, and and yeah, like it, it, everyone should have been growing and enjoying it. And ultimately, I think that is what happened. You know, yeah. we did that this four day work week where we did we called them Creative Fridays. So, you know, we didn't change the amount of work we needed to get done. We just said, look, every Friday is paid and you can choose to either take the day off, stay at home. Um, you can work on your own short film and like get other people like from the office working on it too. You know, you can like, like Ian, actually Ian and, and Avi, like Avi is, is really into photography and Ian's like, Avi, I want to know more about photography. So Avi would like, you know, sort of give Ian photography classes on Friday or, or whatever. Like it was cool. Like right. you could just do whatever you wanted to and learn. And what was interesting is our, our productivity on the our regular day-to-day stuff actually went up. Hmm. Even though we cut a week out of our schedule, it's like our, our productivity went up because everyone was just, I think, creatively being refreshed all the time. And it was really, really cool. It was an interesting experiment. Yeah, that's 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 pretty awesome. I think that, that you know, that... that... That's a great environment for sure. Now, you you mentioned that it was hard to sustain that, or not able to sustain that after a while, right? Because there's there's a problem at the end, which with you know people paying for this. <laughs> Ultimately, you still have to, you know, there's money going out, and if money isn't coming in, it's not going to be sustainable. And right. there's a lot. There was a lot of politics and different things, you know, in terms of why it wasn't fully sustainable. And I think. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe if we'd done some things differently, it could have been. Or if certain circumstances, which I can't really talk about, didn't happen, it probably would have gotten there. Mm-hmm. Because our game plan wasn't to try to get there in the in the two years. Our game plan was to try to get there in like maybe four years. But certain things changed, and and we didn't get the opportunity to run it that long. And right. now it's kind of 
it's it's not dead though. Like to be perfectly honest, like we're still it's been morphed into something new. Like there's a, a film coming out called Demonic in I don't know about a month, I guess. Um, okay. That we shot in the middle of the pandemic uh, last summer because we needed something to do. So a bunch of us that all used to be in Oats together, not the not the digital crew so much. Um, although a couple of them were involved more like the, the live action side, art direction and props, all that stuff. Um, myself, cameras, we all lighting, we all got together and we shot this short, short a film called Demonic um, that that comes out this summer. Um, and that's kind of s- sort of I think where Oats will spiral out of. And we you know we still have dreams of getting the whole team, the band back together, so to speak, but in a way that's financially viable that will like be sustainable. In fact, right. the new, it's funny, like the, the company's new name is called Stability because that has to be the focus. <laughs> it's got to, it's got to be stable and sustainable. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, what, 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 I mean, obviously the, you know, as an, ex, as an experience uh, from the, from the creative side of things, it felt unbelievably successful based on what you guys mm-hmm. were doing. And it also felt very efficient, which is also pretty, pretty amazing well, because sometimes yeah. that's, those aren't very efficient. <laughs> No, it was it was shockingly like if you talk financially, like outside the fact that we never sold anything, like we just gave all the shorts away for free, which is why there was no money coming back in. Everything we did was done far far more efficiently than we had been used to on any other projects or studio films or things like that. Like because we had just <clears throat> such full control over everything, um, and we could keep tight reins on those things, you know. And even if Neil went off on a tangent, being creative, like we still had control over how we would execute um, and how outlandish we could get. You know, there's lots of ideas. There are lots of times where myself or, or Mike would have to go to Neil and be like, I love the idea, but it's just like, we can't, we simply can't afford it. It's, it's too big for us right now. Let's do that later. Kind of right. a thing. Um, but it was, it was incredibly efficient. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not allowed to really talk about how much did cost that, that's coming out this summer or like in a month, but like, it was ridiculously efficient too. Like, I mean, crazy yep. for a feature film. Um, so yeah, there's lots of it. That aspect of it was was ridiculously efficient and cost effective. We just didn't have a mechanism for making money yet. I I, I find that you know it was interesting when I first got into visual effects because I've been working in computer graphics for a long time before I even got to visual effects, and I I just sounded mm-hmm. like trying to realize like there is huge amounts of inefficiency in visual effects sometimes. Oh, crazy. It's insane. And I, I, I mean, I remember, you know, this was a long time ago, so statute of limitation is, 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 is gone. But I was on Day After <laughs> Tomorrow, and they yep. had a team that was probably about six people mm-hmm. and about six months developing the- a way to bake ambient occlusion into buildings. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which... In V-Ray is like one button (laughs) that was available at that time. (laughs) Just called render it with a, with a, with a dome light and you had it done. But they were like, no, 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 this is like so expensive. Even, even, you know, some of the times, you know, the other thing is, you know, you were, you were mentioning Tron and things like that. And I'm sure this is partially the case, but a lot of times you're at work for 14, 16 hours, but you're spending about 10 of those hours waiting for stuff. Oh, waiting or in meetings or like it's highly yeah. ineffective highly yeah. ineffective and so the the idea of this you know that was a thing the smaller teams can get things done much faster especially if they're well seasoned and they work well together you know they yeah, can do and, things and way better not putting certain restrictions like in a in a big like forget about studios but big facility environment like introducing new software is like a big deal it's like whoa we can't just roll this thing into the pipeline our pipeline is this and we can't just go use this other random thing or this free script that someone wrote or this like whatever and it's like we were just like you know like oats we really did like tear everything down and say let's just pretend nothing's established and we can do things any way we want from from software to like just workflow and, and pipeline and production and it was interesting because you'd find that some stuff, it's like, man, we don't need to do that. That's just there in the regular facility pipeline because it's been there for 20 years and no one's just, it's just there. It's like a tradition. It doesn't need to be there anymore. But we're just used to doing it, so it is. 
Yep. And other things you discover, like, oh, you know what? There's a really good reason why that that's there. We, that needs to actually stay. <laughs> and, and so you find this, like, tune up this new engine, and it's like you could throw away so much crap and yet keep the parts that, that you realize are, like, crucial and important. Right. And, like, we were bringing random new software in that, like, people are hardly heard of, but it's like, well, we'll try it because we don't have a team to build any R&D. It's like, we'll just, we got to find off the shelf. Right. And you'd find all these weird new efficiencies that, that in a regular environment, you just, you don't have the luxury to experiment that way. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything's, everything's moving too quickly and you, you've got to, you know, you're providing a service and you have to hit that deadline. You, you can't, you can't change it. Like on, and yeah, like we experimented with Redshift at Oats and like we switched literally mid show. Because, again, we didn't have a big render farm. We had, like, 10 computers right. that we worked on. And it's like, that's our render farm. And, like, we had to figure out a way to render our stuff. Right. Um, and at that time, like, we were also, like, we were on V-Ray. And, and the the GPU side of V-Ray wasn't ready at the time, which is ultimately what we really wanted to use. But we just couldn't because it wasn't, it was it was too early days. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know. I, I, I've. I've done those things as well. And, you know, that's actually what happened on Tron, believe it or not, at D at DD. Mm. It's like they were all mental ray. And then they were like, That's right, too. And then they switched to V Ray. Yeah, after like nine months in in, in wow. production. <laughs> you know what was and, interesting about that show is I and I appreciated it is that they made everyone work on the same engine or the same same, you know, renderer. And it was like which yeah. I'd never seen that before. And yeah, well like, it all looked everyone's the same. Everyone's gonna then. match it. Exactly. Which we're <laughs> Kind of a smart thing to do. <laughs> yep. There was a few there's a few places that, you know, insisted on using other things or had matte paintings or whatever, which is fine. As long sure. as it looked the same. But but yeah, it was it was it was interesting because, you know, I it was the same thing. Like is when 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 uh, uh, V Ray was starting to become you know a thing where people were talking about that, and I don't mm-hmm. really, I actually don't talk about V Ray that much on the podcast, believe it or not. But I <laughs> but uh, but there was uh, there was people like, well, you need to be able to write your own shaders. I said, do you? I know. I, I run into that argument. <laughs> and they're like, what do you times. mean, do you? He's like, do you? Yeah, I like also oh, like <laughs> yeah. I had the same same issue at other companies when I was trying to pull V Ray or, or render it, and they're like, it's too closed. It's too black box. You can't write shaders. I'm like, nope. <laughs> right. Like, you mean just use the default shader? It's like most things would work that way. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you ray trace it, it's going to be right. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's all going to get comped anyway. I'm like, do you, do you need to? I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was uh, it was is kind of interesting. Yeah, because you know I think people get a comfort level with legacy, right? So they've got this thing, they've yeah. got a way that things work, and they're like, well, this is the way it's always worked. Why would I change it? Exactly. Um, and and so. Uh, and that that becomes, but legacy becomes very very expensive after a while. Super expensive. Yeah. Super super expensive. For um, sure. And I get it. It's just it's a comfort thing. Like everyone has that, but it really sometimes it really stifles forward progress. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what were your big? I mean, obviously you sort of mentioned a few of them, but what were your biggest takeaways? Obviously, obviously the good and the you know from 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 that the the oats experiment. Obviously, you guys are still going. Like you said, there's still a, a part of it that's going. But I mean, what were the, like the biggest takeaway? Like the positive parts, the good parts that you really want to keep, and the places like this is what I would change if I were to do it differently. I mean, for sure, the the positive stuff. The culture was was amazing. Like the sort of involving people in the in the bigger picture was was a huge like win like it was just so good to have people creatively vested in it and and being able to think outside the box like that it was all about trying to think outside the box like that was a huge thing the other thing that was interesting is like right from the beginning one of the mandates was and and i'm sure you we've all heard this a thousand times like it's quick to get to 90 percent, but the last 10 or 5 or 10 percent is like you know 50 percent of the time is spent to get to 90 and then 50 percent of the time is to the last five percent and what we said is we're like well, forget about the last ten percent. We'll just we'll just go to ninety percent because if the story's good, most audiences probably won't tell the difference. Right. And so if if it only takes fifty percent of our time to get to ninety, now we can do two shows at ninety percent instead of one show at at a hundred. Or you know what I mean? And that was interesting. And it's like I don't. I mean, are there shots? Yeah, there's a, there's lots of shots that I wish we could have taken farther at Oats or done a little bit more. But there's shots in any movie I've worked on where I feel that way. And I'm like, and I look back at it, and I'm like, man, 
for a tiny team, like we output a ridiculous amount of content. And part of that was because we just said, like, it, it's far enough. We're not going to noodle it anymore. And, and, and it's funny, there's, I think there's two sides to the ditch. Like, there's definitely times where I wish I could have gone a little bit further with it and pushed it further. But if we had, we wouldn't have been able to do so many, so much work. So yeah, I think that that was an interesting thing to take away from it. That like is I don't know that that will ever really sit with this in this in the studio system. Like it's always got to go to the like eleventh month. Like it's just got to go there, go there, go there. And I'm like, you it's know, not we worth want it. More if we didn't have to, because and most people will never know. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of like negatives, there's definitely. I mean, you gotta be financially sustainable. Like, I mean, it doesn't. If you build the coolest thing ever, if it's not sustainable, it's, that cool thing is gonna go away. Right. I always wondered because it seemed like Oats had figured out a way to get really amazing content out, mm-hmm. but had figured out the distribution part of the independence. Right. Totally. Because it, it was the it was the it was all about being independent to me. Like at least that's the way I saw it from an from yeah. an outsider. I said it's about like them breaking the system, saying nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go through and 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 bow to the six studios and do it the way they want to do. Because I obviously I can tell Niels always wanted to do something that was not tied to the studio system. I think that's yep. one something that he felt was was strong. And so that's Oates' thing. It was like, but you kind of have to figure out distribution. <laughs> totally. There's there's a balance there. And it was even even the way we were doing it, you know, was was maybe slightly ahead of its time. Like I mean there was Netflix obviously and, and Amazon, but we were like maybe there's a way to like distribute short films and like you know, one of our concepts was like if you build it then you'll figure out a way and, and unfortunately we didn't have a long enough run and that's why we were sending everything out for free was to try to like create a momentum that eventually then maybe you could start charging and finding the monetary system for mm-hmm. um and that was from advice from from other sort of silent partners that were involved in it um i don't think it was bad advice we just the run wasn't long enough to really get it to a maturity level but like i remember we talked we talked to um oh i can't even remember what the like since then, other people have released. There, there's that one that's released. It's like it's all five minute episodes, and it's all online. Um, mm. And like we talked to them, and they were like, "What are you guys trying to do?" And we're it was basically we're trying to do what you're trying to do, but we're already doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting. Like people, yeah, it's funny. Like it's if there if there had been a way to to sell it. It would have been good. And I mean, there almost was. Like, honestly, there almost was. But again, some of the stuff, like there, there were silent partners involved. And like we did some of the, and they saw things differently than we did, which was unfortunate. Like, for example, without going into great detail, but like, I mean, some of the shorts that came out, you know, there were interested parties at studios that came and said, hey, we will finance a film based on that movie. In which case, if we'd done that, it would have been financially sustainable because effectively we made a whole bunch of pitch pieces. And then yep. we sold them when we made a movie. That would that would have maintained financial stability. The other partners didn't want to take those deals for whatever reason. I wasn't involved in the negotiations. I don't know what happened. I just know that it didn't work out. Mm. So, which is unfortunate. There could have been like a rack of film that we were all watching. You know, I'm almost theater. wondering if you guys were a little too early. Like if you had I started, I think we were. I think if you had started this like you know five years later or something like that, is right at the prime when the when 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 the Netflixes and the Amazons were yeah. buying cool content, and you guys probably could have sold like, you know, the the Oats yeah. shorts, like Love Duff and Robots, but it's Neil's great version. example. Yep. Yeah. No, I I totally think we were just like just a hair early, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's but, interesting. It's interesting. Right. Okay, it was, so 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 what are you, what are you what are you up to these days? What's what's going on now? Yeah, so I mean, after that, um, you know, I, I which yeah, we did a bunch of stuff with Oats, and then um, took kind of a year off, waiting to see what was going to happen, and then I ended up getting a call from Dave Wilson, yet another South the VFX South African, <laughs> who's moved into directing, um, and you know he. Bloodshot, he'd been working on Bloodshot already. It was already in post, and there was kind of the show it was going through a bunch of changes, and there was a big changeover in terms of visual effects, and both myself and a, and a producer kind of came in, and the, the crew switched over um, for whatever reasons. Just I think the show was, was changing directions. 
Um, and so I, I went went down to LA and, and worked with him on Bloodshot and sort of finished that out. It was supposed to be, I think, three months and turned into about nine, uh, <laughs> nine or ten, uh, which was fun. It was it was it was a good show. Um, had a lot of fun with Dave um, and the rest of the crew. And then um, I was at the premiere for that and flew home, landed, uh, and then the next day the borders closed because of the pandemic. It was just right. like, wow, okay, well, I, I finished the show, but like, got it in under the wire, <laughs> totally. And but which it, it was just funny for me. I was like, whatever. I'm like, I need a break. So, <laughs> for right. me, I'll stay at home and hang out with the kids. Okay. Um, and then you know, after a few months, you start getting bored, and that's when we shot this this film with Neil, um, sort of in the middle of in the summer last year, right in the height of the pandemic. But like, you know, we were able to fly under most of the restrictions because the crew was so tiny, like it was such a small because there was restrictions on on how many people could be doing something, but we were so tiny that we were underneath that. And wow. you still, you know, all the same precautions. You got your mask on and everything else, but but it was small enough that we were able to like bypassed a lot of the a lot of the restrictions and then straight after that um and even a little bit before that i was in development on another like sony called me again um well, actually i got a call from two places i got a call from the filmmakers and then also from sony which is which is who's the you know the studio behind it um for the guys that wrote the quiet place they're doing a new movie called this is a writing directing movie called 65 they called me i was in early development on that then i shot the thing with neil and then it was greenlit. So then I was, again, all through the pandemic, I was like, in September, I flew to Louisiana. And I was in Louisiana through the end of last year. And then in January, in, in there in January a little bit. And then flew up and then moved to Oregon and continued shooting in Oregon. I think I got back end of February, early March um, from the shoot. And now we're in post. So now, we're, now I'm working on that. Wow. That's you're a brave person to do that a lot of traveling during the pandemic. That's, that's all I got to say. <laughs> well, it was, it was different than normal. I'll tell you that. Like normally the family always goes with me. Mm. And it was, it was tough. Like this was the first shoot, um, like long duration shoot where, I mean, they couldn't, like I couldn't bring them down. I would have been, well, there was lots of reasons I couldn't. You, you right. Know, it just, that wasn't going to work in the middle of a pandemic. I couldn't bring the whole family down. Um, right. Like even me flying down and traveling with special case, but because it was work, it was allowed. So. Right. And I mean, you're getting tested every day and nasal swabs and like shooting in that was not fun. Like it was. Nope. It was gross. Like we, we like, cause everyone's got different policies, but our particular policy was double mask and a face shield. And I mean, like it was, is gross. Like it's like we're hiking mountains and you like can hardly breathe through all of this stuff. It was terrible. Yeah. It's fogging yeah. up and like we have a visual job. It's like you can hardly see through the face shield. Like it was, I mean, it's, it's safety precautions and I get it because you want to make sure everyone stays healthily. And, and we didn't have any big problems on our show, which is really good. Like it worked well. Right. Um, very few, like no outbreaks, obviously. Uh, we never got shut down for anything. Like, like all the precautions they put in place obviously worked because because it was yep. a healthy crew, but it's it's not it was not a fun way to shoot a movie. No, I bet, I bet. Well, that's that's interesting for sure. So, listen, I I, I want to you know as we're we're getting towards the end here, I want to know like you've you've started to experiment. I mean, honestly, I'm going to tell you you're kind of a little bit my hero for the way that you're talking about <laughs> efficiency, because I've been crying this for so long, and I've been saying there's got to be a better way or. More, yep. I've been, or more. I'm saying is like the emperor has no clothes. This can't be the way that it has to be done. Like there's totally. You know, so uh, I'm glad that you're doing it and you're showing people that you're leading by example. Uh, but but what do you think? What do you think about the future of filmmaking? What do you think are some of the things that are going to happen in the future? that are going to change the way that you you, you think about uh, the way you you make movies and the way you do visual effects and and computer graphics and all that stuff. It's interesting, you know. Like I mean, I think eventually we would get there. Strangely enough, I think the pandemic, for all of its negatives, I think there's a lot of positives that have come out of it, like within our industry and outside. Like I think it's like forgetting about the industry. Like I think it's, I think it's made people remember how important like family time is, for example. Like, like it work-life balance. I think I think the pandemic has forced people to remember. Oh, I like hanging out with these people that I live with. This is kind of nice. You know what I mean? And it's like. I don't want to go back to that way we used to do it. it. That wasn't good. And so, like, it, it's kind of, 
I think shocked a lot of people out of sort of the frog and boiling water kind of thing, which is which I think is a positive. And that does, mm-hmm. that's not just our industry. I think that's a, kind of a general comment. Um, you know, it's a, a very positive takeaway from the pandemic. And I think it's forced, it's also forced efficiencies on us that were already there, but maybe weren't being utilized, like work from home. There's definitely efficiencies to being in a group and being together, but there's also certain efficiencies from being at home. And even if you're in the office, things that you had to do to become more efficient to have everyone work at home are still applicable when everyone's back in the office. You know what I mean? Like sure. how long meetings are or, or, or how the review processes work or, or whatever. Like it even make people becoming, having to be a little bit more like self-sufficient and be able to problem solve things on their own rather than be like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And like call IT or like a tech a TD that like fix it for you. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to fix it on my own. And it's made people like, have to get back into that role, um, which is cool. And even obviously, as the you know the, the the big thing out there on everyone's mind is virtual production right now, and it's it's massively accelerated that, like massively right. massively accelerated that. Um, which, I mean, is again, it was going on before the pandemic, but holy crap! Like, did that ever get accelerated with? Why well, we can't travel? It's not safe. Well, we'll just. You don't have to travel. We'll just make the world here for you. Um, But there's so many other efficiencies that you get, like regardless of of that being the reason there it's like virtual production is highly effective, like not for everything, but like it really has a good, like a big place that, that is highly efficient and highly effective. And it also forces people, my, one of my favorite things about virtual production is it forces, forces people to actually think about the problems and solve them ahead of time instead of the oh we'll fix it later and i'm like fix yep. it later doesn't always work because all you did is just kick it down the road yep. and i'm like and it forces them to make choices up front which is way more efficient and way more effective to do yeah um than just like ignore it and like oh we'll figure it out later yeah for um, sure i mean i actually i see it in both sides because i actually def- i know i i look at you know virtual production in, in several ways i look at it like there's the LED wall virtual production, which I call more mm-hmm. of the green screen replacement or something like that, yep. right? But uh, and then there's also like virtual production where you're actually just capturing motion capturing people and doing those types sure. of things as well, and camera capture as well, uh, because I think that those are very efficient. And I think they they mm-hmm. do make those. If you can get people to make the decision, then <laughs> then you've won. You know. Uh, well, that's I, it. Yeah. And especially, you know, you you know, you've got a great DP on a great movie, like you know, like like Tron, right? And then you're you're mm-hmm. you hire some some kid that's out of you know, not to say that it's not talented, but out of VFX school, and he's going to have to try to match the lighting of someone who's yeah. got like thirty five years of experience. No, get the guy who actually knows how to light do the lighting. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It just it forces decisions earlier. It forces people to think about all the way down the road and be able to make informed decisions like when they should be made. And it, it right. like, that's what I like about it. I think it's awesome. Um, and then there's even like, like actually on this, um, I wonder if I'm allowed to talk about this. Maybe I'm not. There's right. some cool virtual production stuff that we did in demonic. Um, okay. That, that is, is, um, I mean, I'll say it, I won't explain what it is, but we did, we experimented with like, pretty like i mean duct tape and glue let's figure this thing out like um volumetric capture where you've got like 250 cameras yep filming people and you're capturing them and i mean it's been done in other films but like it was we were really trying to push the envelope a little bit that's pretty cool Um, i love duct tape and bubblegum visual effects so you know that's when i was doing things with construct i'm like how do we get you know v-ray inside a motion builder and that was that was <laughs> that was pretty cool and yeah. it, you know what it involved just a key group of people and a and one idea and then it's like holy crap that looks amazing so so i totally get it i totally get it so this is this is amazing uh really great work i can't wait to uh to see it so when does demonic come out you said in about a month or so I think August twentieth. It's a super mi- like it's a it's a very tiny theatrical release. It doesn't even get released in Canada, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, but in the states, it's definitely I don't know how many theaters it. Um, it'll be in something, and then it, I think it it may be on certain streaming services sort of at the same time. Okay. Um, but yeah, I believe it's August twentieth that it's coming out. Okay, and it's Neil Neil's part of it as well, right? He, it's, yeah, it's, it's his, just it's his film. He wrote, he directed film. it. 
great. Yeah. Okay. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. In fact, this podcast may come out, you know, just before that. So people should uh, so cool. definitely check it out. Very happy to see that. So, uh, listen, uh, awesome to have you on. Really glad to do this. Yeah, thank you. I'm pr pretty, it's really great to chat with you finally, like more long form. Because I think we've seen each other a couple times at SIGGRAPH and said hi, et cetera. Yep. But we never actually had a chance to sit down and chat for a long time. So it's really totally. cool to do that for sure, for sure. So thank no, you so much for doing it. this. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for asking me to be part of it. It's awesome.